Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We're on the road. Back to the BFT with John Kinzano. Live from Husky Stadium on 750. The game. I'm live from Husky Stadium. Dun- the uh, ducks. The, uh, isn't it bad? I got onto the elevator, and the elevator operator said to me, Ducks playing today, and here I am. I'm going, no, it's Oregon State, and here I went to go say Ducks. Uh, ducks have played some big games against the Huskies here at this stadium, but uh, this one tonight, 7.30, it'll be the Beavers on uh, what will maybe a windy night here in Seattle. Wind picking up a little bit here, but let's go to the let's go out to our guest, Mike Farrell of the Seattle Times, covers the Huskies. He's joining us now. Uh, how are you, man? Is this a big game for Washington, or is just just another game? Doing well, John. I just finished adding about nine layers, so I'm feeling pretty good about tonight. Um, <laughs> I think you know it's all a matter of perspective, obviously, but it, you know it's a big game when you have two six and two teams. I think really it's a matter of perspective. Where you know the UW fans' perspective has shifted a couple times this season. I think going into the year, you hoped maybe for an eight-win season after going four and eight last year, and then all of a sudden you're four and zero, and you think, well, what can this team do? Can they win a, a conference championship? Can they push for that? And they had a couple tough losses, and they had some injuries in the middle of the year, and some things like that. And I think this game will mean a lot in, tor- um, in, in terms of really seeing, you know, what the goal should be ending the season. They've got a tough stretch, obviously, with Oregon next week. You know, you finish the year with Washington State. Is this an eight and four team? Is it a team that could that could kind of stumble on the stretch? You know, could they finish nine and three? I think tonight, you know, with a, a UW team that hasn't played much quality competition. They thought Michigan State was a quality team. It turns out it wasn't. Stanford, obviously, we know what they were. Cal, all of these teams, their quality wins haven't been quality wins. So I think tonight will go a long way in seeing where they are and where they're going to be the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, this is an offense, I think, that scares people. Michael Penix Jr., the receivers, the, early in the year, I thought this is the best passing offense in the conference. How have they looked in recent weeks to you? Uh, they've still been very strong. I mean, Penix against Cal, that's a defense that doesn't want to give up explosive plays. I know they gave up some against, you know, Oregon, obviously, but Penix was extremely efficient. There weren't the 30, 40, 50-yard connections, but, uh, you know, he had 36 completions in that game, which tied his own program record. And, of course, against Arizona, which is, you know, a very porous pass defense, they lit them up. So, you know, Michael Penix Jr. has been every bit the player that he's been all season, I think, you know, they have such a, a, a varied receiving core when it comes to Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk and Giles Jackson. There's just such a wealth of targets there that makes them really dangerous. Now, we haven't seen what the Seattle fall is going to do to this passing offense, and you mentioned that a little bit. We'll see if the wind plays a factor or if rain plays a factor or this or that, but this is certainly a dangerous passing offense and one that's coming off of a bye as well. The uh, the defense uh, early in the year, I had the impression that this was so weird because I don't associate a, a porous defense with Washington. Like, you know, last year, I, uh, defense was the least of their problems. It was a real strength. How has that that uh, that whiplash sort of perception of the program 
you know, how is that explained, or how do, how are fans dealing with the idea of the you know this is a really good offensive team that suddenly looks like if it could put the defensive uh, personality that it's had in recent years uh, together, that it would be really formidable. Well, it's just been such a specific thing because when you talk defensively, this is a team that's leading the league in opponent yards per carry. Uh, they're the best in the Pac-12. They're the best in the Pac-12 in sacks per game. So they've been really, really good in some specific places and really, really bad in one, which is pass defense, third down defense. Uh, their secondary that's been so good for so long, like you said, just hasn't been there. And there have been some significant injuries. When you talk about, you know, their starting corners going into the year, Mish Powell and Jordan Perryman, one has missed four games, the other has missed three games. They had a, a, a starting safety, Asa Turner, who's their best playmaker, who's missed three games. Uh, they're healthy now, but, but what it's really exposed is the lack, the lack of depth. I mean, they they obviously lose Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon to the NFL draft, um, and you go beyond who their starters were coming into the season, which I think are sort of league average, and beyond that, there's really no one who had played. And it, it is very young, very inexperienced, uh, not as highly touted in terms of recruiting rankings as what they had had in our Jimmy Lake. So I think once those first couple guys went down, that was a position where they couldn't afford to have injuries. And when they did, they couldn't answer for that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Oregon State has uh, been the opposite. They've been really good on the defensive side of the ball. They have, you know, they grind out points here and there. Um, I, I think it's really interesting to watch. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, early returns from you. You've you've watched him up close. Uh, you talk to him more frequently than most. What are your impressions of DeBoer in year one? Yeah, I mean, I think people love the, the culture that he's building there. And, and what people talk about with him is just the steadiness, where obviously they lost a couple of games. But he's someone who I think just has a quiet confidence in what he's building and the way that he goes about things. Obviously, the offense has been every bit as explosive as people hoped. And, and it, it's easy, you know, when you have these, these results to forget about where they came from, where they struggled so much offensively last year. And, of course, they've had a huge upgrade at quarterback. But you got to remember that the offensive line is pretty much exactly the same. And the wide receiving core is pretty much exactly the same as last season. There haven't been big additions in those areas. So schematically, what DeBoer has done, what Ryan Grubb has, has done has been really impressive. The question is, you know, how are they going to go about it in recruiting in terms of building the depth and getting the kind of players that they want. But, you know, the early returns, both from results, uh, offensive results, and also I think the culture within the, pro the program has been sort of what people had hoped for and expected from Kalen DeBoer. This weather tonight, Mike, um, you know, I'm looking down on the field now. I'm in the press box and broadcasting here. And, you know, early in the broadcast, I thought, oh, no, no factor. And then it did pick up, and it seems to be really inconsistent. If the wind is a factor, can Washington run the ball in this game? Can they win running the football? It's a great question. I mean, they've had games where they've been pretty impressive doing that. They've had games where they haven't been effective whatsoever doing that. Um, I think when you look at, you know, who they have there in, the, in, in that position, a guy like Wayne Talapapa, who's sort of their de facto starter, 5.3 yards per carry. Cameron Davis, 10 touchdowns, leads the Pac-12, 4.8 yards per carry. Richard Newton, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, in terms of their running back, they've been somewhat effective. It's just, you know, they don't, they don't have a dual-threat quarterback. Michael Penix Jr. doesn't really do that, and they haven't leaned on it. So they, they have to know that when you're going into this stretch in the Pacific Northwest and you're playing – a game like this, and you're going to be playing at Oregon, and then you're going to be playing Colorado and Wazoo, and there's going to be rain and there's going to be snow. They've got to be, I think, more varied, more balanced than they've been. 
uh, they haven't had to show that so far. So I think it's going to be one of those where when they have no other choice, can they do it? And we may have to see that tonight. We're talking to Mike Varell, Seattle Times. Uh, the perception outside in of Oregon State. I'm curious, kind of, you know, to get your thoughts on where what you see with Jonathan Smith's program. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just have I have last season's game kind of seared into my head where I think that last year's Oregon State game where they snapped the nine-game losing streak against UW really was still what this program does in terms of being so dedicated to the run, being so disciplined. I think they ran for like 242 yards in that game. Uh, they ran it 50 times because, you know, UW's uh, pass defense was so good and its run defense was so bad. And when they needed to win the game, they just ran it and ran it and ran it and ran out the clock and, and kicked a game-winning field goal and just did exactly what they wanted to do deliberately, methodically. And I think that's what this program is. I mean, it's not the most talented group, but, but Jonathan Smith gets every ounce out of the guys he has. And, and I think I'm just curious to see, you know, UW's you know, run defense has been much improved statistically thus far, but they know they're going to be challenged. I don't think Jonathan Smith and Co. are going to try to trick him. You know, can they match up against that? And I'll be really curious to see that tonight. You know, the departure of Jonathan Smith, Chris Peterson's program, how much do you think that hurt Chris Peterson's program and or maybe contributed to him kind of walking away, or is that a non-story or maybe not part of the equation in your mind? I don't think it factored into Chris Peterson deciding to walk away a couple of years later, but I do think that it hurt the program. Certainly when Jonathan Smith left, I feel like the local perception was, oh, well, I don't know how important he was. It was Chris Peterson. He was the offensive guy. But then you would install a Bush Hamden, and it just didn't work. And, you know, uh, an offense and an offensive mind and Chris Peterson that had been hailed as being so creative throughout his time at Boise State, it started to seem to get a little bit stale. And I, and I think when you look back at it, Jonathan Smith had a lot more to do with the 2016 success and 2017 success uh, than maybe we give him credit for. So, you know, it's an interesting thing in, in the re- retrospect to look at that because I think in the moment, UW fans kind of maligned Jonathan Smith as they do with most offensive coordinators when you're, you know, when you're not throwing, putting up, you know, 500, 600 yards a game. And now it, it seems to be apparent just how much of his fingerprints were on those offenses. All right, Mike, before I cut you loose, what's your feel on this game? I, I picked Oregon State in a close game, but I was expecting ugly, ugly, ugly weather, and it looks like it'll be windy, but otherwise it looks okay. Yeah, very little feel. I feel like these are, I, I mean, obviously the, the records are the same, 6-2, and two, and I think these are, are very interestingly matched teams in opposite ways. Like, you know, when Oregon State runs the ball as you know with as much determination as they do, and UW has the pass offense. And I picked UW by, by a point, 31-30, and I kind of yeah. just chalked it up to it being a pick game and the fact that UW is 5-0 and at home, and, and they've been very good there. And if they can... You know, if they can still move the ball and if Penix can be effective as he has been and, and they force a turnover or two and stop the run, which to some degree, which they've done this season, then they've got a shot. But but to me, it's a pick game. It'll just be interesting to see which team's style of play can really be more effective. I'm always curious, too, because you get a chance to see teams and you see them in different matchups because you're watching Washington. Who do you think the best team in the Pac-12 is, whether you've seen them on TV or seen them in person? It's hard to know because I haven't seen Oregon yet up close, and I think next week might go you know a ways towards determining that, and I lean towards saying Oregon. Um, obviously, Utah has been in some really interesting battles, and USC, you don't know exactly what to expect because obviously you know they probably should have lost to Oregon State, and they've had games where they look fantastic, and, and it's just hard to know. But I think 
Oregon, you know, outside of that opener, which, which it seems to me that there's two or three really, really excellent teams in college football, and then there's sort of everybody else. I would guess that Oregon is the, is the class of the conference, but I think we'll know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, I appreciate you, and I will see you in the press box. All right, sounds good. Thanks, John. He does great work. Follow him on Twitter. Read him at the Seattle Times. Does a hell of a job covering his team. Does everything a beat reporter should do in letting uh, fans know what's going on. I read him. Uh, there are you know, several beat writers across the conference that get it done. And you know I bring on those writers like Josh Newman yesterday, Salt Lake Tribune. You want to know what's going on with Utah. That's the guy you read. Um, I think it's an interesting matchup. I, and we're going to kick it around a little bit more coming up uh, as we go around the conference uh, later in the show. But it's a really interesting matchup to kind of look at what Washington is. They're, they are a pass-happy offensive team. And, guys, i got to tell you, you know how the goalposts have a foam protector that wraps around the goalposts you yes. know, in the stadium? Yeah. On one end of Husky Stadium, that just blew off, and it <laughs> rolled out to about the 15-yard line. Two band members have retrieved it, and they are taking it back to the goalpost. That's the kind of wind that it is. Like, it doesn't look like it's blowing, but right now they have flags from a variety of countries that are on the field. They're, do they're running through, I think, what will be their halftime show right now, and those flags are whipping right now. So down on the field, it is very windy right now at Husky Stadium. So keep an eye on that as Michael Penix Jr. in Washington's pass offense against the Beavers' run game and the Beavers' defense. This is a really interesting stylistic matchup. We'll talk about those coming up. Also, author Jeff Perlman, he's written a book about Bo Jackson. It's getting a lot of run. Perlman will join us to talk about his book, Softy from KJR, later in the show as well. you got the bald face truth statewide. Leave it here. It's Friday Night Lights and Pac-12 After Dark. Back to the bald face truth from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game. Friday Night Lights, Pac-12, After Dark, those things going on together. We've set the scene from Husky Stadium. It is uh, windy here, I'll tell you that. I can see down onto the field. Uh, for those of you who are interested in following the game, I've got photographer Serena Morones, who is fantastic shooting the game tonight. If you want to see the photo gallery, we'll have it at johnconzano.com. You can see the game in photos. For those of you who want to read my column off the game or anything that I've written, uh, you can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. Jeff Perlman, author of the new Bo Jackson book, Bo is a Folk Hero, uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. We'll give our Pac-12 picks in the 4 o'clock hour. Softy from KJR in Seattle will be joining us and popping on in the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour. And uh, I'll take you all the way, uh, really, to 6 o'clock right here on 750 The Game and uh, across the BFT radio network in Fox Sports Eugene and Roseburg on 1490 AM and in Klamath Falls on 960 AM. Appreciate everybody who makes this show part of their day. First, though, let's do the big splash. It's splashy. It's the one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant said that the fallout from Kyrie Irving's social media posts that center on an anti-Semitic book and movie is a quote-unquote unfortunate situation. 
that, quote, just sucks all around for everybody. And hopefully, Kevin Durant says, they uh, can move past it as a team. I think it's uh, a really bad situation for the Nets. Uh, Irving was suspended by the Nets yesterday for no less than five games after he failed to formally apologize during a news conference earlier in the day. Uh, later in the evening, he issued an apology over Instagram, but uh, a lot of people believe that it was written by his uh, his agent. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it wasn't, but uh, the best course of action, uh, was it to suspend Kyrie Irving? Sean Marks, general manager in Brooklyn, says it was really all they had at their disposal. The organization has made multiple attempts to... Um to get with Kyrie and his representation and to have them clarify his feelings and you know put out a sense of remorse for this and that obviously didn't happen and he, he refused to disavow that until his uh, until his text uh, until his tweet last night so um, I think this was the best course of action um, as, as it stands right now is, is to suspend him you know because that those uh, you know those not, they're not the values of our, of, of our organization right now there it is, Sean Marks uh, talking to media. A lot of people uh, upset at Kyrie Irving. And guys, what do you make of it? Like, all right, on one hand, I think the media gave him the opportunity to apologize numerous times. He did not. He did not disavow. Uh, you know, he was asked, you know, about his anti-Semitic tweet or Instagram post, and he had every opportunity to say, no, I, you know, I, I stand in support. You know, I'm not anti-Semitic. He didn't say that. Then last night. After he realizes he's going to be fined, or after his agent figures out he's going to be fined about two million bucks minimal, uh, he comes out with a statement, and then he gets criticized for the statement. Uh, is it fair to criticize him for the statement after the actions, or how do you guys sort through that? Yeah, I mean it's tough because like yesterday we were talking about it, and that's all I wanted. I wanted an apology. I wanted to see him say the words that he's sorry for what he did, and he did that. So for me, like, do if I, if I believe it or not. I think that's irrelevant. Like, I got exactly what I wanted, and he's yeah. been suspended. So, like, I can't be mad no matter how it sounds, right? Like, he did exactly what I wanted him to do. Um, you know, whether I believe him or not, that's another thing. But, you know, he did it. He apologized, and I think that's good for me. Judah, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I, I don't believe Kyrie's apology, but I also don't think it matters. So, yeah. I'm glad he's suspended. It closes the book on it for me for now, but, you know, I already had my mind made up on the guy. I'm left, you know, there, there are. There are people who interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.